This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. Good evening. Oh dear, you guys are pathetic. <laughs> uh, if, if you're here the first time, I'm really sorry. <laughs> You know, in the morning uh, service, which I typically go to with my family, the songs are great, you know. We end up worshipping and lifting our hands. But in the evening service, your songs always have bowing down, prostrate, lying before you. And and so I put a reminder to myself, don't wear white pants in the evening service. (laughs) Oh my goodness. (laughs) That was great. I I had a great time with you guys. Do I have your permission to be tough tonight? Yeah? It's actually for your sake, not mine. I don't care. (laughs) But it helps if you say, I give you permission, and then at least psychologically you're ready. Okay, are you ready? Okay, how many of you were at the previous sermon that I preached on worldviews? Just put up your hands. Okay, quite a bit. All right. So, what do you do with it? And I'm going to ask you to share with the lights all on. Yeah? Uh, Great Commission, Matthew 28. So you go through the whole verse, it says, teach them to obey, not teach them more knowledge. Which is why in your small groups, I hope, there is always a segment where you talk about application, and then the next time you come back again, you ask each other, so what did you do with what you learned this week? Right? I think that's what you've been taught as a small group leader or in your small group. If you haven't, as a small group leader, you should start. If you're a small group member and your small group leader doesn't do it, just remind them. Okay? What did you obey? How did you obey? And who did you share it with? So this is what I'd like you to do. Richard Forster, I think a lot of you are reading Richard Forster's Celebration of Discipline. The first sentence in the whole book is, superficiality is the curse of this age. So let's stop being superficial. Okay? Is that tough enough? Alright, so lights on. Three people. Whoever, has, um, whoever was in the, the, the previous sermon that I preached on, worldviews, the secular humanistic, the uh, theistic, and then the animistic. What did you do with that? How did you apply that? If, you, if in your group of three, none of you were at that, then you share what you heard last Sunday or the Sunday before that and how you applied that. If you were not in Sunday, this week, last week or the week before that, come talk to Eugene and then <clears throat> share what you did or what you learned in small group and let's spend three minutes just being accountable to application to God's word. So it doesn't return void. Okay? Go for it. Three minutes. Okay, uh, this evening's sermon will actually be three parts, okay? The first part will be me saying a few words, and then the second part will have a panel interview, uh, and then the third part actually will be time of prayer, okay? So, if, if you don't like to pray with other people, now's the time to go and pretend you're going to the toilet and don't come back. Okay, um, let me read to you from Luke chapter 10. Do yourself a favor, if you were not here last Sunday morning, 
you should try and stream uh, Rick Rousseau's sermon. And he preached on the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. Phenomenal. He's a super communicator and um, super funny also. So uh, listen to it. And I'm just going to add one or two thoughts to what he preached on. Okay, And he shared a lot of illustrations of what the church is doing in the context of the Good Samaritan with, relate, with regards to seeing uh, his city just outside Boulder, Colorado, transform. And so we're going to speak a little bit about the city and Cape Town in particular. I think it's a bit too loud and a bit too sibilant. If you can, yeah, let's bring it down a bit. So Luke chapter 10. If you have your Bibles with you, you might want to look at it instead of looking at me. I'm not that good looking. Or at least there's been degradation these years. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. NIV. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? Verse 27. He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. 29. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down to Jerusalem, to Jer- from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Verse 32, so too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But the Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. I always thought that the priest and the Levite were bad guys in this whole narrative, right? Was that how you pictured them in your mind? Yeah. And who was the good guy? Samaritan. I later on realized that, you know what? The bad guys actually did the right thing. They obeyed the Mosaic law. So what does a priest and Levite do? Well, they got to travel to the temple, their schedules that they follow, and then when you're at the temple... There are a couple of things that you need to do, you know, whether related to the wash basins or the offerings or the, or the you know, the, 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 the prayers, the atonement and all that. And it is very clear from Exodus 30, Leviticus 8, 9, 10, 11, and you read a lot of Ex- uh, Leviticus specifically, it has to do with what you need, not just as priests, but also as the people of Israel, what do you need to do to stay consecrated, i.e. clean? So we are not told specifically which direction the Levite and the priests were heading, but there are some commentators that believe that because of, you know, crossing over to the other side, they were probably walking toward this injured man. 
And so what's in their mind? They're thinking, I've got to go to church. I've got to be clean. I've got to do certain duties. If I touch this injured man and he has blood on him, I become unclean and I will not be able to do my job. So they did the right thing by not touching him. According to Mosaic law, based on their priestly function. How does that change that for you? So the Good Samaritan, in a sense, illustrates a number of lessons, one of which is oftentimes it's not the decision you and I need to make between wrong and right. As Christians, if you say you follow Jesus, you really have no other option. Why are you even asking me whether you should do this or that if you know clearly it's right or wrong? Right? Okay? So maybe the decision we need to be making is, is it right or is it kingdom? So what are the kingdom decisions we need to make? So it means, perhaps, paying your bills earlier than you should. Perhaps it means doing the radical things that other people, you know, here's the line but you actually don't toe the line, you far exceed the line in kingdom living. Because kingdom principles are always higher principles. And if you are struggling to understand what I mean by kingdom principles, just go read Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. Those are kingdom principles. It's always a higher standard. And again, it's not a performance-based standard, it's a grace-based standard. Okay, So you do it out of love and obedience. Uh, for your saviour, master, and king, your friend, your lover. So, one of the things that I think the Good Samaritan also teaches us is it's not ask who is my neighbour, like the expert of the law did. Who is my neighbour? Jesus, tell me. Is it this guy, this guy, or this guy? Is it, is it the guy that's in proximity to me? Is he the one directly across me? Is he the one that I share affinity with, or blood, or relationship, or this or that? Jesus sort of flipped it around and said, it's not who is your neighbor, it's to whom should you be a neighbor to. So as you're walking on the road and you come upon this guy, he's not related to you, he might be an alien, he's completely different race or gender or ethnicity or socioeconomic background or education or you may not even like him, but that's not the point. To live by the kingdom is to answer the question, to whom must I be a neighbor to, and do it. That's love. Okay? Right, so that's Luke 10. Why am I bringing this up? Tonight we want to wrestle with the subject of what role can we play in light of all the news that we're reading about the city of Cape Town, whether you believe it's genocide, not genocide, xenophobia, or... Um, femicide or whatever. And, and, and it's serious stuff. Okay? So what is the right thing to do? But what is also the kingdom thing to do? And certainly, because we're of the kingdom, we profess, then prayer needs to be one of it. So which is why we will spend time in prayer and then we will leave you sort of to wrestle with you know, other things that you can do flowing out of our time here this evening. You good?
All right. So every epistle that you read is written to a city. So somehow God's heart is for cities. Much less about the individual, really. I don't know if you know this. God talks about people, not the individual. God uses individuals, but it's always about the restoration of a nation or a city. Okay? So don't feel too self-important. Get it? Again, if you're here for the first time, I'm so sorry. <laughs> but I'll, I'm also not, but you know, you know what I mean. <laughs> okay, so God's heart is for a nation, for cities. So I, I love all the city-wide initiatives, um, especially the ones that relate to prayer. Okay? And then obviously flowing out of prayer can be many practical things we can do. Uh, Anton Myberg is involved with something with AE for the city of Cape Town, specifically the three weekends of November. Uh, I'm sure that the church leaders will inform you about that in due course. Uh, Love Cape Town Festival. Um, But obviously, the baseline for how we can be involved in the city is prayer. So you sit here and you might be thinking, is it possible for a city to be reached? Is it possible for a city to be redeemed? And you read Jonah chapter 3, and it's about the city of Nineveh. Uh, 55 miles circumference. So what that is in kilometers, I don't know. Um, so 55 miles, people say, look, uh, researchers say 120,000 children, they think. Therefore, if you, if you extrapolate to adults, it would probably be a city of 600,000 to a million people. Um, and in three days, they repented. So Jonah walked for three days, and everyone up to the king basically repented. So we see that example, we see Nehemiah, we see Ezra, uh, the two books the restoration of Jerusalem. And obviously, there are also a number of people you can read nowadays about uh, citywide transformation initiatives. And I'm not going to speak too much about that, uh, short of saying that uh, there is actually a growing concern for the city, a seek to bring about um, unity in prayer engagement. Uh, prayer rooms already in Brackenfell, one church has designated a space, they call it a war room, where they have maps and information about things they need to pray for the city uh, of Cape Town. There are meetings taking place between um, urban planners, uh, you know, people that specialize in integrated development planning, looking at uh, traffic design, traffic management, and, and all sort of all urban spatial views and how to put in place the right infrastructure. And one of the conversations that is taking place is wh- what are the gates in the city that we need to mend. Because if left unmanned, we're in big trouble. And probably they've been left unmanned for a long time in Cape Town. So, what are those gates? Is it waterways? Is it highways? Is it roadways? Is it, you know, where's the battleground that's being fought? What are those gates? Is it the internet portals? Is it, is it the sport arenas? So that's one of the conversations. And so how can we have prayer rooms or war rooms across the city uh, with, with people standing in the gap, like Ezra, but also rebuilding the wall, like Nehemiah. Ezra was the pastor, Nehemiah was the builder, right? The money guy, the planner. We need both. So what are those gates? And so there are different conversations happening. So part of the discussion that Sears and Eugene and I and other pastors have been having 
is how can we create this broader awareness across the body of Christ, especially in the chauffeur family? And so we decided tonight uh, I would invite one of my good friends. 12 years ago when Wan Yi and I, we moved to South Africa, um, Pastor Eric Hofmeyer, we call him Eric. I think it's fine if you call him Eric. Eric, Eric sort of uh, inducted us into what it would take to really see transformation in uh, the K-Flats, especially among the colored people. And so with him, we served in Cryfontein, in Mannenberg, in Mitchell's Plains, in Endurance, in all sorts of places, on, in farms, and, and he basically helped us understand that whole context. And so Eric's own background is he was a former general with one of the gangs, and he'll share a bit about that. But we will ask him a series of questions, and then you'll also get an opportunity to ask him questions. And then we will go into small clusters of three people, and then we will share a prayer concern. You will pray, then we'll share another concern, and then we will pray, and we'll basically keep a prayer circuit going for um, a number of minutes. Okay? So that's more or less how we will structure the evening. Everyone good? Show me with your thumb if you're good or not good, or anything in between. Good? Wonderful. Wonderful. Eric, can I invite you to come? Eric and Carol are great friends of ours. Thank you and good evening, everybody. Thank you so much. Good evening. Eric, uh, how did you come to faith? And say a few words about yourself. Um, on the 3rd of September, it was 33 years that I got saved in my bedroom. And I challenged God in my bedroom 33 years ago. And I said, God, if you ain't a white man's God, then be my God too. As a young man, I was very, very, very political-minded. And the Lord spoke to me through Genesis chapter 12, the first time I ever read my Bible. And, and the Lord said to me, I'm the God of the nations. And so I will send you to the nations, which you have done. Um, then, just within a few days, my own gang, there was 13 of us generals. I oversight the generals and... The other 12 decided to take my life, uh, to kill me because it's blood in and blood out. But God miraculously moved and just took me away out, out of that um, situation. I went to church this Sunday and God told me again, he's not just the God of the white man because the preacher was a white man uh, from the USA and Dr. Fred McCoy. And he pointed me out and he said, young man, God called you full-time to the ministry. I knew how to play the fool, but full-time ministry was something else. Because my teachers used to write, Eric is the clown of the class. You know, so um, Monday morning, I went to resign from my work. The afternoon, I went to a, a college, and they refused me. And then I walked out of the college. I said, God, no ways. You haven't called me. And God let the paper blew into me where they were pioneering, starting a college four months later. So I've been, ever since God called me in my bedroom, resigned from my job, just married, by the way, for a month. Resigned my job while my wife is learned, just learned that she was a few um, time pregnant and then jobless but working for God, yeah. So I went to study four years and then after the four years, mom, I met Umkasi Carstens through my pastor, Alfie Fabe, and I was also a Christian sportsman. I was your first South African in, South Af first colored to get Springbok colors for my sports in powerlifting and weightlifting, but wasn't recognized. And, but the Lord sent people my way, like Umkasi, but I was commissioned from my church 33 years ago to, to today. I'm still a full-time missionary. Eric, tell us a little bit more about why 
young people that come across your path uh, are in gangs, especially in the Cape Flats? In, in our community, you find that young people have the association because of that, maybe part of gang culture, or maybe there's a cousin that's already in the number codes, especially when you go to prison, 26, 27, 28. Um, and so they are linking to that because that could just maybe the best role model or the only role model. So there is sometimes a family member that's already uh, associated to gangs, and that family must, member must actually disciple somebody. So that's the evil of it. It's a discipleship protocol um, that, that you must prove and show yourself. There's the, um, the false um, promises from um, gang culture of you can have money, fast cars, and whatsoever. You only have a fast car if you steal the church people's cars, you know? Then you have a fast car. Um, yeah, so there's false promises to our young people, and our young people buy into that. And then there's the, because of the little clusters, how our communities is, it's a matter of if you are in this court, which is only separates the road, if you're in this flat, you are hard living. If you're the flat opposite, you're American. So you, so you cannot literally move into the other court area um, uh, being at peace with yourself. So the, so the initiation goes for protection at the end of the day. What is the void that they're trying to fill by being in gangs? It's belonging. Belonging and a, and a, and, and a sense of being finding the identity of who they are. Um, in our community, it's easy to know that you don't know. Very easy to know that you don't know. But very difficult to understand that you have potential and that you have talent. Yeah, but we are supposed to have monopoly on fellowship and belonging as the church. What went wrong there? No, the church is the community's biggest enemy. Explain, unpack that, please. <laughs> <laughs> The church, um, in, in, in our content, many times the church was repent, otherwise you go to hell. So hell has been a, a norm of the day. But now it's, a, it's switched in a sweet packet. Because everybody tells you to go to hell, even the pastor tells you to go to hell. But it is taken very lightly. But there was a time when we used to say the Pentecostal movement came very hard to people and there was no grace. And it was just judgment upon judgment upon judgment. But we, we, we need to recognize that God moves in mysterious ways. And there is a way of, of, of scaring you, but there is also a way of friendship relationship, friendship evangelism. And, and we, the church, have already lost that in, in our community. So is it possible to get out of a gang today? How does one do that? It's blood in and blood out. Um, I mean, it happened with me. Um, we, what, what we speak about the fiver. You fasten your, your risk with the guy that fights you. He holds the, the point of your belt, and, and you have the point of his belt, and each one have a knife. And then you stab until the blood flows. And then if you say stop, you say you stay in the gang, or you say stop me until I die. Um, stab me until I die. But with, with my situation, the Lord intervene when, when the police came we, we were on our way to have my blood in and blood out but for 33 years my integrity speaks for itself in my community um, but it's not easy to leave the gangs um, I can say many of you may have heard and read it was on TV or newspaper about two they, they saw 10 young men that was in the gangs when Angus was in Mitchell's plane um, there was only two that were gang members the rest were sinners like um, 
like us. Um, but on that day, a, a friend, Ashley Potts, called me, and that very day I was on my way taking my daughter to, to, to John, where they were out in Stellenbosch um, with ministry, sports ministry, for her to attend the camp. And I got a phone call to say, I'm surrounded by hard-living gang members, can you please come? So when I got there, I found there's the two young men that were with Um Angus. We, he gave his cap to the one guy and his Bible to the other guy. So th- those two were ex-hard-living members. But then you find a van full of 15 men that is saying, no ways. You don't leave the, the hard-living gang. You're going to pay with your life or you remain in his blood in and blood out. So because of the, the leader of that community of East Street, he was one of my generals. So I could sambela, which means what we do now, I could talk. I could talk the gang culture and say, take it on me. As Christ has laid his life down for us, I was willing to lay down my life for, for them to say, they will, they will not turn squealers. They will not become pimpers for, for saps. But they will walk the walk and talk the talk. And then we look for a pastor in the community. And that pastor is currently discipling that two young men. That is growing. So that's a protocol taken. Um, you, you stand for them and you cause them to be accountable and you put them in a church where they can grow in Christ. And they out. I cannot speak for the other eight, but I can speak for two. So you're, you're actually saying the gangs don't tolerate hypocrisy, Christian yes. hypocrisy. Absolutely. Because every, we know, gang culture know, when you're in court, you pray quickly, our Father. When you're in the police van, you seek the Lord. And, and when you run out of court, you say, Yarad, me gehoor. Tell us a little bit about what's happening in the prisons. In the prison, people will misuse the gospel. That's the bottom line. Because within that, they get opportunity to move from point A to point B to do what they journey to do. Because in Kankals in prison, it's called the glass and the draught. So that's your, your cell phone and your mirror. Okay, so before you came to church, ladies, you were a glass because you looked in the mirror. Men, before you came in at the car, you used your phone. So you were draught, you were on the phone. So between point A and point B, they move. But there's times when they, when they use the, the ministry of the gospel, the church services, to do the activities. But God used the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. So while they think they're wise in the activities, the word that is spoken from whosoever shares God's word will not turn empty. It hits. It breaks through the hard rocks and it puts in the heart of flesh. And when they sit in the corners, they do cry out to the Lord. And your church has been part of prison ministry. Continue to do that. Sometimes we don't see the fruits of it. But one soul, when one ex-prisoner comes to the kingdom of God because of your sowing and somebody else putting water on it, when God let it grow, Scripture says, he who began the good work is faithful to complete it. That man, that woman that you sowed into in prison becomes a pioneer of change in my community. They may do the time for society that the court send them there, but prison ministry in its own have its place in the body of Christ. And I was fortunate in America through the ministry that John and myself is, is, is involved with. Um, I've ministered in over 100 prisons in America, 
and in Mexico seven prisons, I've, I've taught from a, pa a disaster to a pastor to serve the master. <laughs> and everybody else pays my airfare. <laughs> so tell us a bit about uh, what the church is doing well and not doing well in the Cape Flats, especially related to all that we're hearing in the news and with the army even moving in. So tell us about the church situation there and uh, be candid, yeah. but be respectful. <laughs> yes. I think sometimes our churches also in the past, we have become very glorified when a gang leader comes to know the Lord. When I came to know the Lord, the Lord took me out of Mitchell's Plain and I went to Hoosland Tilbach and I worked for SCARES there as the youth director. Um, so God has worked in, in another way. But our churches have failed. They, they put the man and they don't put God on the platform. My testimony tonight is not about Eric being an ex-gang leader. It's about what Jesus has done in me and continue to do through me. That's, the, that's protocol here. Um, so we have failed in, in, in that content. We have failed to have the mindset of making disciples. Gang culture knows what it is to make disciples. When a gang member comes to know the Lord, they don't want to be the deacon or the elder or the cell group leader or the mother leader. They want to be a disciple. They want to be led. But the protocol lies with us as the leaders within the body of Christ. And we fail to, to bring forth the unity, love one another, so that the world can know that you are my disciples. We have failed because we build, we build our, 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 our own church and we build our own idol. And we are not aware that it bleeds the heart of God. We're supposed to be one, and when the world sees we are one. And we fail in our communities to work with an opportunity, for example, with SAPS. SAPS in Mannenberg say, if you tell us which road we must close where you can have, like on every pole or every street corner, an open air. 462 churches. SAPS say you can have every main road. We'll close it for you. They can't have even unity in having an open air or a march together, 462 churches. Two mosques come together every day, two o'clock, for two hours from 12 to 2. Every business in Manaba closes, even the stalls. You can't go buy bananas or oranges. They close because they go sit in the streets of Manaba and they do their prayers for two hours while the church is failing. We called upon the army. I don't know if it was the church or community, but I think it was the politicians that called the army for your vote and mine. They have failed because the mandate between army and police is not even concluded. And yet currently they are busy now withdrawing the army from my community. But they made promise to my community that the army will be there. Now they say there's no more budget. So when the army arrests an individual, they cannot lay a proper charge because they don't have the mandate. And I do not say what I read, I say what I know. And then I shared it this morning. A young man... A gunman in the gangs, they call is a 27, that's a gunman. In church language, you speak about um, Elijah. Elijah was a gunman, okay, because he's called fire from heaven. Okay, so he was a gunman. <laughs> so the gunman got arrested with bullets and a gun in front of one of our high schools. I saw it, I saw the evidence, I like, thank you, Lord, a gun and bullets less on the street and a gunman. The afternoon, I saw him again. I almost want to make a flippy, flippy on that. 
En hy sê toe, jy bra, kwala my, hoe sal man ken man? Waar zeg aan pik lela vir die wat is? So sy ask you, where have you been? I've seen you, you've been the van in your back. He said, he said, no, okay, that's not me, sorry man, I just spoke gang language here in the church. Um, he said to me, no pastor, they, they call me pastor, pastor, because there's no bra for me in the shop. Um, because of the power of thing, a big chest. And, and he says, no pastor, pastor, they can't arrest me. It's not saps that arrested me. They could only have the evidence. But he's out. He's supposed to be in court and then be sentenced. And then I learned that he's one of the informers also for saps. So sap cannot arrest the informer. So who will inform them of arresting somebody else? So that's our problem because the informer is paid by your tax. He has a tax number that gives him a thousand rand every month. Every month from SAPS. So the police and SAPS, look, there's good policemen and women. I work for them. There's good in the army. But our politicians have failed that two department of orchestrating what they must do in the local community. You cannot say that they've arrested 100 men in our community and 99 of them is still outside. So we've got a question. Um, the the band, the the members of um, you know, of the gangs that is in prison. What influence do they still have on the outside world? And then the second question, followed by that, is when they come to salvation, what influence can they have in their community? Let it be known and said, the gangs in the prison control your community and mine. They run the drugs, they run the prostitution, they run the pimps, they run the Sabines. Go do just proper statistics with some of yours, not our students here, the students at varsity that you know that's unsafe. The, they may not support the drugs, but the nightclubs is owned by the gang friends of the Cape Flats. Okay, the, the nightclubs of Stellenbosch is owned by the firm drug lords. And I can prove that. So the number code, the 28 is the lawgiver. They speak for the gangs. They are the 28. In the Bible, they would be Moses, speaking on behalf of God, between God and the people. Okay, whatever happens in prison, and outside prison, if the 28s do not give a yes, it cannot happen. If it does happen, you will face hell in, in their culture. The 27 is Elijah. He, if he, the fire that falls from his weapon, he determines how strong your street gang is. So we can be one sofa family, but we are in 40 venues. And each venue have an elder. So every venue, every gang has a gunman. You know what I'm saying? In layman term. So the gangs determine who dies in our community. And even if somebody suits and it wasn't given an order, they, the, the 28th Moses, they will deal then with that individual. And then you have the 26, which is, um, they know when the church take up the offerings. They know when the, the doors are closed and they know where you go count the money 
and then the hands up with the asses. Okay, that happened in some churches already. So Jesus said to Peter, go to the river, go catch a fish and pay our taxes. The 26 is the thief. While we in church, they want to break in our cars and our homes. So the 26 determine how rich the gang will be. So everybody has a job and a ministry of its own to save ministry. So the community, our safety, is determined by gang culture in prison. But when a prisoner gets saved, the angels in heaven is rejoicing. Why? Because one sinner, name is written in the book of life. If we look to Calvary's tree, one said, if you are the son of God, save yourself and save us. The only in the for home and gang term, langani for your gate with your manita. Who shall a man came by Dizza? Who can us pray with the over to us, man? He was just saying, hey, we just robbed everybody last night. So we were caught, man. This is our, our deed. But this guy, we know this guy. He says, you remember when, when the woman was walking and pressing through, we were pickpocketing everybody? And the disciples didn't even know. That's my outro lesson. Hey, guys, you know when, when the guy was shouting, son of David, have mercy upon me? We were looting and, and robbing. We were caught for this stuff. But this guy did nothing. And he said, Jesus, remember me. And Jesus said to him, today, today, you will be with me in paradise. And that cuts being saved and being religious. And we're not religious, we're saved. But a person, and I can give testimony of the testimony, where this church or the ministry of Sofa has, has already and still continue to be involved with, one come to Christ has the potential to save the world. And that one also sits amongst us tonight. Eric, as we're about to shift into prayer, could you share one success story before we do that? Yes, I can. Uh, God, God's success story. I can, I can say, okay. <laughs> one, you say one, two. So I, so I take three in one. Three young men come to my house. Denzel, Sheldon, and Ricardo. And I lead them to the Lord. Then I said to them, next week you come again. And they came. They wanted to borrow soccer gear. So I gave them soccer gear. But I led them to the Lord. They came again the next Saturday. Then they asked me, can't we stay over? So we stayed over. As they stayed over out of that tree, they stayed for 10 years in my house. So just be careful who you invite. It's called discipleship. Yes, 10 years, 10 years. Denzel today is full-time in the ministry. John knows him as well. Sheldon has passed on to be with the Lord. Now, Sheldon and Denzel were of two different gangs in one home. Denzel sought Sheldon. Sheldon sought Denzel through the head in front of his mother. Ricardo is also today a youth pastor, an associate pastor to Windows of Heaven Church, one of the biggest churches in Mitchell's Plain. I planted that church. But because of these three men, I got another invitation. His, Eric Kutsia, his children is here, and I think they're also here. I don't know if they're here tonight. But Eric Kutsia invited me to Durbanville High School, um, Bialville High School, 
I ministered and a young boy, Nathan Valentine, heard me speak, pick up 250Ks, sold him my 12 gold medals that I've won over the years, and auto call was made. They came and he asked me, can I serve Jesus and do sports? Out of that young man, if you drive now down the old Fort Trekkers Road through Cryfontein before it's a hit into Brackenfeld, North Pine, you'll find the church on the left-hand side. Through a gym, I'm not the pastor of the church, I started the program in a gym, rented the old post office. But out of that, as I spoke today, as I'm speaking tonight, I asked people to be a vehicle in the vision God has given me. Through people's giving, Today, go to North Pine. Before you enter North Pine, you'll find a beautiful church being built. I've only been an instrument. Through three people's visit, unsaved young boys, today there's a church planted. By the grace of God, the Lord bless you and the Lord keep you. So let me invite you. Let me invite you to sit in groups of three. So this morning, they made a mistake by sitting in groups of five or six, and people didn't get sufficient opportunity to pray. So try to keep it to two or three, three maximum, and then we will give you different points for prayer, and then every group will get three minutes, and you will pray out loud wherever you are. So if you can form yourselves now, I'll give you one minute. or 30 seconds. 30 seconds. So you're in your groups of three. All right. So Eric... What should we pray about? <laughs> One thing, like the most important thing. Let's start with the most important thing in your, in your perspective. That there will be a fatherhood in our community will rise up. Because that needs to be the role model. Rather. Too many mothers is taking their rightful place. But there's no fathers taking their place. There is lawlessness and a hopelessness that our fathers have adapted. And Afrikaans is galat mark and galat staan. So pray that God will just rekindle a first love for fathers that they will take the responsibility and direct their sons and their daughters where they should go and be. So we'll give you two minutes, 30 seconds. The timer begins now. <laughs> Amen. So Eric, I want to ask you a question. How can we as the body of Christ, but from a different social group within the context of a very socially divided country, practically contribute to real change in the form of mentorship and role models to changing the dependency of young men on gangs for their role, for their role models. I'm in the field. Yes, there is a lot. The skills, the talent, the potential is here. The church, you remain accountable to the church. You need 25 boys, you need 25 girls, whether it's music instruments, whether it's the gym, whether it's teaching them computers, I will take you there. Let me be the vehicle with no trailer. And we journey together and make an impact. I got one opportunity, and I'll use his name, Umkasi. And I've forever been a missionary in sports ministry. One guy believed in me, and I've traveled the world. Come from Annenberg, where last night's rice is tomorrow's morning's rice krispies. <laughs> what practical contribution 
can a typical student from Stellenbosch make to assist in this situation? Oh, hallelujah. In Mannenberg, I got 10 young boys that say to me, Pastor Eric, we are happy to be hard livings. We don't want to go to school anymore. But we will come where you want us to be. I call them and they come. So I need somebody to empower them. Enable them. I'm not a maths teacher. But I need somebody to speak into their life. I can, I can gather them. I can give you also a place of safety. I can also give you two policemen that will stand there the whole day when you're there. That's how I roll. <laughs> you see, I'm a community changer. And I have a name that goes. And the Lord's grace will always follow with that. So there's practical. You have the skill. You have the talent. I have the venue. So how can we pray for the church? Pray that the church will continue to open its doors because we need the doors to be open. An environment like this is a bit different because there's a lot of there's a school activity during the day. But our church's doors need to be open. We need to be a place of refuge. And if we're not a place of refuge, where shall they go to? Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.